Support comes from HBO Documentary Films, presenting 38 at the Garden, directed by Frank Chi, which chronicles the extraordinary ascendance of point guard Jeremy Lin during his landmark 2012 season with the New York Knicks. Lin, an undrafted Harvard graduate, shocked fans, stunned his teammates, and galvanized Asians around the world when he scored 38 points at Madison Square Garden against the Los Angeles Lakers, solidifying Lin's hot streak and the Lin sanity craze. A decade later, Lin's stature as a groundbreaking cultural icon stands in stark relief to the recent hate crimes against the AAPI community. 38 at the Garden recognizes a pivotal moment in time for Lin and celebrates a phenomenon that was bigger than basketball for the world. For your Academy Award consideration, Best Documentary Short, and now streaming on HBO Max. Hi, and welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris Hofal, Executive Editor of Craft and Special Projects at IndieWire. And today I'm talking to Shanok Sen, the director behind one of the very best films of the year, All That Breathes. You know, every time I try to explain All That Breathes, um, it comes across as reductive. Um, at, a, at, its, at a base level, it's about two brothers in Delhi who've established this kind of um, makeshift bird hospital. And, and dedicate their days to rescuing these black kite birds who suddenly due to air pollution are, are falling out of the sky at an alarming rate. Um, and meanwhile, in the backdrop um, of the story of the two brothers is um, protests and political unrest in Delhi um, that eventually erupts into violence. And now that description makes it sound like a kind of a standard issue, uh, ecological or political doc, and not one of the most poetic, meditative, and beautiful pieces of nonfiction filmmaking I've seen. Uh, in listening to Shanoff talk about his process, in, including shooting for a whole year before discovering the film's language and, and yes, then tossing away uh, that year's worth of footage, it became more obvious to me um, how he made such an incredible film. I apologize. I haven't seen your first film, uh, Cities of Sleep, but I was, I was reading about it, and um, it made me... It, it, and, reading actually through the press notes too, it's like your kind of larger interests. Maybe you could talk about that in context of Cities of Sleep. And there's this thing, quote here, everyday, you know, you like looking at everyday banal phenomena that usually occupy the fringes of our vision as objects of rigorous study. I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about kind of, we'll get to all that breathes, but I'm kind of your general, what interests you and kind of where you were as a filmmaker even before you discovered these two brothers. Right. So, um, I think I get interested uh, to begin with in concepts. I think uh, films often come as this kind of a texture at first, right? A kind of ineffable glow at the back of your head. And um, you're sort of gripped by, for me at least, it's this idea, which is more like a concept. It could be looking at the world through the lens of sleep or looking at the world through the lens of non-human lives. And alongside that, it's a kind of, vague texture or tone and the tone here is a kind of composite of um, pace and how smoky it is it's as simple as that so in the last film this film called cities of sleep it sort of started with i have tremendous problems sleeping so uh, uh, i want to think about how sleep becomes a way in which or what happens when you think of sleep as a kind of conceptual lens through which you enter the city and uh to think of sleep politically and that's how the film started I started visiting different night shelters and started and that's when I encountered this sort of phenomenon that's uh, vaguely called the sleep mafia these are people who control who sleeps where for how long and what quality of sleep 
for the homeless that's how i entered and i realized that this was a remarkable kind of a alternate shadow world and not something that we should uh, necessarily be critical of and through one kind of renegade homeless sleeper um we who we followed for almost 2 years um uh, the city completely disaggregated itself in new ways so when that film started i knew i was interested conceptually in the idea of sleep horizontality and visually or aesthetically i just wanted the night fluorescent street lamps and smoke that's vaguely it similarly this film it started with a kind of triangulation a vague triangulation of air bird humans and when you live in a city like delhi the air itself is a you know you feel like you're drowned in the air because the air is this heavy palpable um, tactile visceral gray monochromatic hazy thing and you feel like doing something on this substance that is laminating your life you actually kind of were interested even before discovering the subjects of your film you were kind of interested in these i don't know if it's specifically birds but animals in cities and kind of like looking at because there's something very urban about these you're looking at uh, a certain element of a city life through something very specific you're kind of generally were drawn to something wanting to do something with animals or maybe even specifically birds as it related so, to i have to say uh, prior to getting interested in this which is around the time the film started i was not really a serious birder nor was i ever interested in non-human life and to be honest um i wasn't interested so much in making anything on or conceptually also on the environment um to the extent that if you and i had met through the making of the film um and you'd said are you making a film on air pollution or the environment and i would have said absolutely not you know i mean that's not how i framed the film in my head at all um it's only just prior to the film i was doing this fellowship in the uk and um i realized i was very i was beginning to get philosophically interested in um transspeciesistic like people who get fa- i was fascinated with people who get fascinated with other animals and i was reading this fabulous books like uh, you know the peregrine uh h is for hawk uh, uh grief is a thing with feathers a ton of poetry about where the bird is sort of used and i realized i want to do something vaguely that could help me talk about air the world we live in human non-human entanglement and the grime on the air and the grime on the ground that's how it's vaguely started so no the and the truth is i've always actually fi- found a lot of environmental discourse genuinely unappealing because a lot of it is either gloom and doom despair or it's a kind of bleeding heart sentimentality both of which actually i think do more disservice than good because you're putting a, and you know the main thing is you have to move audiences you have to films are trojan horses and you have to sneak in ideas and whisper things to the better angels of their nature and move them and it's far more interesting if i'm talking to somebody who's at the other end of the belief spectrum that i am in and you realize that you've like the emotional arc of the brother's life and the film's texture is able to move them so that's far more interesting but no i was not uh, <laughs> long way to say that i i in the beginning was not interested in non-human life for people that haven't seen the film why don't you tell us a little bit about who 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 these brothers are cuz it's better that you describe it than me <laughs> and uh, but also i imagine you know when you did meet them and and listening to the way you talk i mean what 
you know, I, is it was was it clear to you that there was something here that in that way with the sleep mafia or something here that there was something that instantly kind of struck you in terms of cinema and in terms of what you wanted to do here? I think if I had to pinpoint one moment at on which at which the film began, I was sat in my car and we were stuck in a traffic jam. Me and Aman, my friend and producer. and um we were looking up and you know the skies of delhi are always this monochromatic haze where these tiny black dots are gliding slowly and these are the black kites right and i distinctly had the sensation that i saw one of those black dots fall really sharply to the ground and i mean i was gripped by this figure of a bird that falls off a really dirty gray sky and you know grayness and a tiny black dot there's something of the kind of dystopic picture postcard that my city has become now that it encapsulated so i literally went back home and googled where do birds that fall off the sky go to and that's when the incredible work of the brothers came up and so for those who haven't seen the film these two brothers nadeem and saud are basically have saved over 25000 black kites in the last 15 years they live in this tiny um they work out of this tiny very cramped industrial looking derelict basement which is very uh, on one side you have heavy metal cutting machines and on the other you have these magisterial birds being treated and it's just the surreal absurdity of this family extremely uh, you know working class not affluent at all family that lives with 250 huge raptors every single day and just to i mean i don't mean to look the film was never intended to be a sweet film about nice people doing good things and it's very much not and i keep worrying that the logline sort of uh, gives it a sense of it's definitely not a uh, you know sweet film about a bird hospital because it also takes into account it's meant to be a kind of philosophical take on human on human relations in an extreme ecosystem such as delhi but it's also as much about the politics of the ground and the kind of social unrest in the city in the backdrop of the brothers life so in a way the film began as what it was not it was not a wildlife or a nature doc i have no experience experience in it nor do i have any ambition uh, towards it it was not meant to be a frontally political film and it was not meant to be just a kind of exploration of the brothers emotional life but it had sort of dashes splashes of all of these and therefore i think it in saying what it was not 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 a sort of um, now it's this kind of amorphous odd thing let's talk about you know you discover these brothers are you the type of filmmaker who wants to spend a little time with them kind of figure it out or do you or do you, do you kind of bring the camera right away you know is it kind of like cuz there's one thing here that i love about this film is there's a, there's an element of the rhythms and the um in the in this and even the sense of how you're going to frame these things it's so deliberate and i'm just curious how much of that is something that you kind of you know spent some time with them and then kind of thought about or if you just kind of just filmed right away i don't really have a clear answer on what type of filmmaker because it's like the first in cities of sleep it was a very raw gritty handheld kind of a thing in this film it was clear that it had to be a very aestheticized tripoded slow fluid quality you know now once i had gone to the brothers house i knew i was going there for the next 3 years <laughs> you know so <laughs> that sort of was clear to me from the onset uh, and the brothers you got to knew that this was you were in for the long haul here you know what the brothers were the first characters i met to research and i never met anybody else and i met them on the 31st of december to 
and uh, there was a party at Aman, the producer's house. And I remember walking in and saying, "I have a feeling I met somebody who we're going to meet for the next two and a half years." Um, and we never met anybody else. Now the thing is that the brothers are very media savvy because they've been interviewed a lot, and that actually is the thing that we had to break out of, right? Because the main ambition of this kind of creative nonfiction is that you have to capture material that is mundane, humdrum, and kind of soaked in banality, right? It has to be quoted in and. characters have to be instead of behave in front of the camera so um, this thing where we tell people where you know you're just part of the epistemic wallpaper of their lives and you say well just do what you do and there's not a single interview that we're going to shoot for the next 2 years is not immediately easy to wrap your head around and um but the brothers are incredibly intelligent people right so i think by the second or the third day we developed a code where we i the whole team would come chat and then at some point i would say um from this point on we are the wall and it's okay okay cool and uh, for the next 4 5 hours i'd try and make myself as small as i could um and keep shooting and the first year was just preliminary shooting that i was doing where i was still discovering the grammar and the vocabulary of the film and it's only the second year that you know the german dp ben uh, came down and even then our crews were small we were never actually on set more than even at its peak never more than 7 to 8 people um, you know so there was a lot of co- and a lot of this kind of shooting is obviously you know firstly a question of active consent in conversation about what is okay to shoot and what is not um i think over time because you also your question also is geared towards the aesthetics and the form of it um I think very early on I realized that this could not be a restless or an anxious film and whenever you're doing handheld your own immediate presence is always sensed right there's a kind of the camera the camera is embodied in a kind of felt fleshy manner this film should not have had that is what I realized and um the brothers have a kind of meditative contemplative quality in the way they talk about non-human life and they're sort of philosophers of the urban you know so um i think um very early on we realized that nobody's holding the camera there's no handheld then we realized that it's going to be tripoded then soon and you know inevitably the first 100 hours of footage that you're shooting in the first year which becomes a kind of preliminary practice shooting not a single shot of it was used and of course that makes my <laughs> heart break that like a full year of but it's actually very useful because it's where you're finding the building blocks of your grammar and that's an, so what we did essentially for all the filmmakers out there we basically put two tripods and put a slider in the middle and even when we were shooting the brothers you'd keep sliding it left to right left to right constantly right to left left to right constantly irrespective of their movement so even if they're exiting frame and soon there was this kind of a fluid cadence that we found and that sort of became the founding principle of um a grammar that we were beginning to evolve let's talk about you mentioned uh, benjamin uh, your dp um he he obviously uh, people can look at his um just from his work with victor who's been on this podcast before i mean he he's someone um aquilara and um we talked about um, gunda last year obviously he brings um a certain experience in terms of shooting even just animals and nature and whatnot but i'm wondering in that 
he came on in the first year, and you're talking about in the first year, even just trying to discover this language that you just discovered. I'm wondering what what also um, in terms of bringing him on and then going into the second year, what that had to do with, I imagine to some degree, because um, I, I, one thing I want to also get out here, because it's the second half of that quote that I read, through this film, I want to harness the enchantment of the sky. I want people to leave theaters and instinctively look up to think of the sky and the birds um, in it as novel, wonderfully alien things. I just I wanted to finish that quote because it's beautiful, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about bringing him on and, and kind of going into the second year of filming. Like I said, I was not sure. I was absolutely sure that we did not want to make a wildlife film, right? So uh, that was sort of the... Uh, we were sure what we did not want to do. So there was no, you know, really uh, majestic telly shot of the bird in the sky. We decided that what we see with our naked eyes, what the uh, image you see of the bird in the sky would be. And soon we discovered that um, the film needed to have ton of other animals and not just birds because what the brothers think about is also about human non-human life generally and one of the things was that I really wanted to open the city the urban up as a kind of non-human space as well where human and non-human life are constantly uh, you know jostling cheek by jowl so as you know in the film there's a, a whole panoply of you know rats snails lizards uh, uh, horses pigs and a ton of other animals so we realized that we had to shoot them and figure out a kind of uh, film grammar to shoot them where it did not look at all like um, a nature doc um, and have a kind of poetic quality because if the main thing is it had to have a kind of meditative, slow, poetic, lyrical content. I feel like I keep saying these words well, over no, and I mean, over again. You know what, jump, right, jump right into the opening, because I mean, the one thing, we, we're not going to spoil anything, but it, 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 jump right into that opening shot, because it feels to me like even that choice to even start the movie the way you started it, it speaks to all of this. Right, so the, that's a great sort of thing to start talking with. For those who haven't seen the film, the film begins with um, four minutes of just rats, and in the beginning you see you're in the middle of this dark, smoky night and you see traffic lights and traffic and cars sort of whizzing past in the background it's probably late in the night and you then make out the vague silhouette of a dog and then the camera glides down and you see something scurrying past and then you see more small uh, black dots scurrying past and then you realize you're in the middle of a hundred um, rats and the camera sort of glides through them uh, and we on A we wanted to begin the film because so much of the film is the camera looking upwards at the sky, uh, we wanted to start with the ground, with the subterranean level. And so th the first shot of the film is um, the rats. The last shot of the film are the kites. And between the ground and the sky is everything, right, of the film. So, and that I, in a kind of romantic way, I'd always thought that that's, that would be fun. So, and it would be fun to start, you know, like in the Lynchian kind of style of, uh, I don't know what insect it is, inside the grass. Um, you know, something like that would be fun. So um, Ben came in at a certain point. He came in after a year of shooting. And the truth is, once he came in, almost 99% of the stuff that we'd shot in the entirety of the first year just went into the junk box, like went was uh, thrown away. So... Uh, um, he came in and with him, we sort of developed this style, which had three main principles. The first thing was that we are not going to cut in the middle of the shot. We're going to do long takes of animals. And the main thing is that it's going to have two elements. It's going to have an element of the city in the background 
and then you discover the animal doing something vis-a-vis the city so you have slow shots as you know like language shots of a turtle clambering through trash and you have traffic in the background and so on but you know to have this kind of slow reveal through slow pans and slow tilts and slow um, focus shifts and you know like there are only certain ways in which you can reveal things through camera but the main thing was like using camera to show and think you know and there are certain things that you know spoken language is good print is in, like written language is good but there are certain things that only the camera can show and that's actually the simultaneity of life and if you spend three minutes just watching a snail with people dancing around a fire behind it, no word, no spoken word, no written word can actually explain it. Only the camera can. So that kind of a intensity visually uh, is something that Ben brought in and then the other, uh, the Indian cinematographer, Raju Das, um, he sort of evolved further. In context of when you were filming, um, what happens, I'm wondering when this actually happened, where... There is some uprest in in the city um, due to some laws that were passed, which then you know first protest and then kind of erupts into into violence. You know, where in the process of of filming did did that happen? You know, after you started working with the brothers. So essentially, when the film began, it was meant to be primarily ecological, mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't like the ambitions were not to be frontally conventionally political right because the brothers themselves are not are not obviously and i mean politics in the electoral sectarian identity based politics sense of the word because i think they're political as well because they're interested in the politics of birds and humans but that's a different kind of thing however while we were shooting what happened is that the city of delhi was on the boil and there was a kind of like you know this city was going through a really tumultuous period and it was impossible to eschew the unrest on the streets right behind them even though they were not you know it was not front and center in their lives so soon we realized that uh, the form of the leak where a character say where the outside world sort of leaks in in small resonances in small sort of cracks where a character goes to the balcony and you see um uh, and you hear the murmurs of a protesting crowd or a character is looking at the video of what is obviously violence and you just see the characters so you know there's acoustic resonances uh, things flash past in the background so it's sort of the um, background of their lives um, and the fact that they're soldiering on despite this kind of a thing uh, is interesting and I think the fact that um, I was always very unsure of how much to bring in and how much to not and I've constantly been this is where I wanted to go with right, it because right, right. because because the thing is is that you know it almost comes in through their wives their wives are bringing it into the exactly, dinner table exactly, or exactly. And, and they start going to and that's interesting, the protest right? because I mean this is a very orthodox uh, family and for the women to be saying that I feel like we should is uh, is an interesting uh, so the thing is that uh, I was wrestling with constantly with how much to uh, you know how much do we um, suggest it is it just a suggestion is it not there at all do we but it's really weird to sanitize a film of all the stuff that's happening especially when it was that um, turbulent at the time so this is the form that we arrived at finally which is that it would be oblique and you sort of sense the political instead of being told it you sense the social um, the fact that things are a bit on edge and in hindsight now I actually feel like I prefer the this tangential oblique presence because the truth is that like I was saying you know films are meant to be Trojan horses they're meant to be things where you 
you know where you sneak at ideas and have a conversation with people who um, you otherwise might not have conversations with and things have to be open and things have to be dialogic so um i feel like uh, you're either often running the risk of preaching to the choir or being dismissed and rejected by people who don't share in your beliefs don't fall in the same wheelhouse of things so um it, when it's this oblique you know it becomes more easier to talk to people about it and even if they don't want to talk about it, it's it's fine um so that's how, so now actually i'm more at rest for the longest time i was a bit unsure of of it and of course there's sensitivities involved well that's the thing but the thing is is that there's an element here where to them the world is a little bit falling apart and to them it's all part of the same thing you know it's like to them the, the, what's go wrong with the city is in is in indicative of what the the birds falling out of the sky and their way of dealing with it is going to be the birds falling out of the sky and it's a little bit towards their i mean to simplify it's a little bit their attitude towards what's going on around them which is and and, and it's interesting because yes it's oblique but and i think this gets into the editing film editing of the film as we move a little bit more towards the end and as the city starts to erupt a little bit there is a little bit of visually you had you and your editor had some very interesting choices about how these things i don't want to say merge but they a little bit like because you don't want to go too far with the metaphor and it is oblique but there is some choices in the beginning it's like well it's in the background and the guys are so busy on their work and then towards the end it, it does feel like a little bit almost like it becomes part of the texture of the city if i'm wrong i wonder if you could talk a little bit about the approach to this as we move towards the end of the film right so there's two things that we discovered in the edit the first is there's a kind of um, relation between the background and the foreground that keeps melding um the background in the sense of you know the animals in the background of our lives like lizards birds rats pigs like the stuff that's there in the city but we the sort of tremors at the edges of our vision right um but also the social unrest stuff that sort of slowly becomes more and more conspicuous and but you sense it you sense the kind of ominous strain of things in the edit we figured two things the first was this relationship between the background and the foreground but more importantly we realized that the main structuring principle of the film is actually that we're going on vacillating between extreme compression and extreme decompression so the compression of the claustrophobic stifled tiny cramped basement where the brothers work and where the entirety of the bird fall of the city comes to and the extreme decompression of um, the skies and the open vistas of the city so the tiny um, uh, you know tomb like basement became a metaphor for something bigger and even aesthetically we kept cutting therefore between extreme close ups of the faces of the brothers and it's not like we were using wider lenses to uh, not show how tiny this place is we were actually showing how exactly cramped it is cutting to the extreme long shots of the city so it's that sort of becomes a kind of uh, you know it's like almost inhaling and exhaling it's like breathing in the sense in the, in the sense the film also has to work on those rhythms of in every in, and out. in every register aesthetically in terms of the political uh, in terms of the um, editorial structure of the film in terms of a kind of waxing and waning of certain things like be it the non-human lives be be it the uh, social presence and i think therefore to make this kind of a um, elegaic mishmash of things because the truth is that you know what i learned from the brothers is that it's not just about human non-human entanglement and you know the interrelationships between uh, lives it's 
our worlds are entangled in more profound ways the ecological is the political is the emotional those are not things that are partitioned at all right and just like we think of the neighborliness of non-human life we have to also think of the kinship of these domains of thought that we otherwise distinguish between it's fascinating because what you were also talking about is also discovering this uh, certain i imagine to a and maybe this is starting to hit you while you're filming, but to a certain degree, we're talking about establishing a language and a pattern in the editing room too. And and one that while there is a narrative here that you follow, it, it, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you just beautifully summarized it, but a little bit of your process. Um, and you had an incredible editor. I was looking at her credits the other today too. I mean, um, you have to yeah, have- she's a master. I mean, you have to have yeah. someone that's thinking about that's worked with a Joshua Oppenheimer who's thinking about these things the way that you're thinking and not like story beats or how I'm going to compress this story and thinking about this in, in these, these, these no, terms. No, I really lucked out. I mean, between uh, Charlotte in the edit and... Um, What's her name? Let's make sure we get Charlotte her. Bankson. That's it. Uh, and uh, Ben Bernhard on the uh, camera. For, um, and also, of course, the Indian team, the directorial team and Vedan Joshi, the co-editor and Rijudas, the uh, DP. Uh, the... Uh, I really lucked out, especially with these two uh, senior edit leads and uh, the DP, because um, essentially, you know, this this is a very difficult film to speak about. And right now, while you were asking this question, something struck me that I don't know if I'll ever make a film that whose demands were to be so impossibly aesthetic. Because I wanted to basically figure out something that I would keep saying this word that, you know, something poetic about birds and humans. <laughs> and I would mumble and feel underconfident and shy. Um, and or something like, you know, something poetic and philosophical about human non human lives. And I mean, initially, of course, you know, I myself would roll my eyes about how bizarre and absurd and esoteric and, you know, like film schooly it sounds or academic uh, it sounds. But you need people like this to not just develop a grammar, but to keep speaking its dialect for it to be fluent. And it became a kind of fluent language that all of us are speaking. I really mean it in the most profound sense of the word. It's like for those three years, you've, you've jumped off a cliff and it's a free fall and you're living in a fever dream where the world is a swirl of images of the style that you've selected, which is these, for us, it was these slow pans <clears throat> or till towns and you know this uncut vision of things and honestly we would always joke about looking at the world like this like you know like surveying or scanning a room through these slow pants with your eyes and it's a form that I think Ben has been so how I <clears throat> got interested in Ben was also through I saw these incredible Kosakovsky films like Antipodas or Aquarella which Ben had shot and I sort of sent a bottle bottled message into the ether and said <clears throat> do you think you'd be <clears throat> interested and um, he um, thankfully we had long conversations and we got on well similarly with Char Charlotte was a dancer till the age of 32 and then she started working and and soon she's like one of the first films she did was act of killing I mean, that's it's almost like that's a joke right it's a, uh, uh, it's, that's usually not someone's first uh, yeah first I mean it was one of the first, I think it was the second or third or something so, but anyway so she did that then I also saw Truffle Hunters which as an edit is really singular as an edit and I was like I, you know she clearly has range 
um and the style that she would do where we would have a whiteboard up and she would put pictures of every scene because you you see we we were editing while shooting um so we worked with the with our editor vedan joshi in delhi and the film was sort of a community like we all lived together we all shot at all hours worked throughout the day uh, edited and um, so while we the, there was four months of edit in delhi where you know we whittled down a 400 hour impossible mountain of footage um down to say a sprawling 3 hour cut and then went with that 3 hour cut to copenhagen and we then um, essentially did this kind of a chiseling process where we were looking at a whiteboard with images of the film and do we start with the rat shot do we start with snails do we start with and you know her style of editing is very different from mine because essentially i'm i tend to be very cerebral and i keep asking questions of the editor like what does it mean what does this shot plus this shot plus this shot mean you know and over time she was she's really the sort of person where i would try and be articulate and throw theory or philosophy and she would just swat it away and say i you know forget the words forget the blah, 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 words and what does your stomach feel and that line became the slogan for the edit what does your stomach feel and that's a different kind of an editing style where of course conceptually you're doing what you're doing narratively you're doing what you're doing but what's the emotional arc what's the emotional logic underwriting the film and that i honestly learned from her because i you know you can make the smartest thing but it doesn't move people and she keeps saying that no 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 forget plot plot is actually the most boring thing in a you know the what is the most boring thing in a film right it's the how um and the why so um and she just keeps saying zoom out zoom out zoom out think of the experience not the plot so in a way she's anti plot editor which is great there's a thing here and we're talking about rhythms and we're talking about um you know editing you know what what do you feel in your gut there is that moment of um people have responded to this film but starting to see it with an audience right because it's like i have to imagine there's a fear of like okay we got this thing working in our room and making us feel this way it's like how is this going to play in 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 a theater full of people and and people have responded to it but i have to imagine that in and of itself was an interesting experience right i mean especially when you've uh, premiered virtually sundance was virtual sundance was virtual of course yeah so and you know this film is special i i know that everybody says you have to see my film in the theaters but i really i mean this in a non trivial sense i really feel like this because we work uh, you know you're seeing animals up close it really has ambitions of being an aesthetic object you know it's a thing where it's like after the first 10 minutes you realize that you have to keep looking in what feel like slow shots and in the end you'll be rewarded your patience will be rewarded but the thing is that i feel like in the at home you wouldn't you know you wouldn't watch the pleasures of watching which this uh, film is really premised on um i feel like uh, that incentive setup is not that apparent at uh home um and again just to like a ton of the films that have come out this year which i really love are uh, you know like films like fire of love etc which are excellent films uh, i feel also work fabulously well when you see them i mean they're fantastic even when you see them on the laptop but when you see them in the, or moonich daydream they, when you see them in the theaters they're really a different kind of an immersive experience well congratulations on this one and uh Yeah, really wonderful film. Thank you. Thank you.